God made us a family. The following talk God was given at St. Maximilian Kolbe Catholic Church in Houston, Texas on Tuesday, May 29th, as part of the World Meeting of Families Catechesis Series. In this talk, Alan Abrier of Your Holy Family Ministries discusses the fourth catechesis entitled, The Great Dream for Everyone. In this talk, Alan equips parents to teach their children about God's divine mercy and to extend this mercy to those in the community. Tonight, we're going to talk about the great dream for everyone. I kept inserting God's great dream for everyone, which was kind of weird because it's, it's the great dream for everyone. And uh, it's different from last week. Last week was God's great dream. It was very individual, right? Of He's got a dream for each of us and for our children and help us to start seeing through the eyes of God towards that. Well, tonight is the great dream for everyone. What he's doing is he's opening the tent and saying, anybody who you think doesn't qualify for mercy, Think again, because that's not how God thinks. God desires mercy. He desires every one of us to be with him in heaven. Even, especially, I mean, if you think about the, uh, um, the lost sheep, he left 99 to go and get that one. And he followed that up with, there is more rejoicing in heaven over one repentant sinner than over 99 righteous ones. Not to diminish what the righteous ones do, but to show just how much God desires to save us from our sin, that he would put himself up on that cross and die for us, even while we were in our sin. That is the difference tonight. Our scripture tonight is, and all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ. You, you have, have taught, taught us to be merciful like the Heavenly Father, and have told us that whoever sees you sees him. Show us your face, and we will be saved. Your loving gaze frees the chaos and Matthew from being enslaved by money, the adulteress and Magdalene from seeking happiness only in created things. May Peter weep after his betrayal, and assured paradise to the repentant thief. Let us hear, as if addressed to each one of us, the words that you spoke to the Samaritan woman. If you knew the gift of God, you are the visible face of the invisible Father, of the God who manifests his power above all by forgiveness and mercy. Let the church be your visible face in the world, its Lord risen and glorified. You will that your ministers would also be clothed in weakness, in order that they may feel compassion for those in ignorance and error. Let everyone who approaches them feel sought after, loved, and forgiven by God. Send your spirit and consecrate every one of us with its anointing so that the jubilee of mercy may be a year of grace from the land. And your church, with renewed enthusiasm, may bring good news to the poor, proclaim liberty to captives and the oppressed, and restore sight to the blind. 
We ask this of you, Lord Jesus, through the intercession of Mary, Mother of Mercy, you who live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, forever and ever. Missionaries of God's mercy, that's what we're called to be. In the Old Testament, uh, no, in the New Testament, Jesus remarked to some group of people he was talking to. He says, do you not know the meaning of I desire mercy and not sacrifice? And I thought about that one because it kind of sticks out within the scriptures. But yet, every action Jesus undertook reinforced that. He said, I didn't come to minister to the, to the well. They don't need a doctor. The sick need a doctor. And we, being Jesus' hands and feet on this earth, are called to be like him and to seek out the lost and extend his mercy. Here are some keys to doing that. We must interact, dialogue, ask questions, listen and respond to those whom God puts in our path. And I've mentioned this before, I don't know if it was within the series we've done here, but uh, uh, I read a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. Carnegie. Carnegie, Dale, Dale Carnegie. Excellent, excellent book. And I've seen other iterations, you know, how to win friends and influence students, you know, they, they kind of put a different face on each one. I listened to the original one, which was written a long time ago, and he's preaching the gospel. He says, it's human kindness. When I asked my wife to read it, she read it and says, I don't need to look at this. This is my dad. This is why 1,100 people came to his, to his funeral, because that's who he was. He would always interact, dialogue, ask questions, listen, respond to those whom God's put in his path. Because it's not about us. We try to see from the other person's point of view. We try to find out what matters to them, what their dreams and, and desires are, and see how we can draw them closer to God. However, if we just go out there and we're only concerned about us, and we have this script that we follow, and we match that same script to every single person we meet, we're only going to succeed maybe 10% of the time. However, if we interact, dialogue, we ask questions, we seek to understand the other person before we go about sharing the good news, then we can actually listen to God, right? Because you ask, ask the Holy Spirit to inspire you so that you can say the words that God wants them to hear. But you've listened to them. You've opened that dialogue. If it's a one-way conversation, it's not dialogue. Don't criticize, condemn, or complain. You know, I've got this exactly out of the, the text that we've been using, the catechesis, and yet that's exactly what Dale Carnegie wrote. And he might have been a Christian. I don't really know. It's not a Christian book. It's, it's a personal, a human book about how to have respect for others and how to build a relationship. And he says these same things. He says... Nobody ever succeeded by criticizing, condemning. You know, you can attract more bees with honey than vinegar. It is the good news that we are sharing, not the condemnation news. 
We don't want to always be telling people, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong. <coughs> we might even have to look very hard. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, uh, she, she worked with the poorest of the poor, the ones who were in the gutters, they were dying, and she would go and, and pick them up. They might have had maggots on their skin and the sores. I mean, it was horrible. And people said, how can you do that? She says, well, I see Jesus in every one of them. So she had, probably had to struggle to do that. She probably had to look really hard, maybe even run into people in addition to the um, physical problems that they had. They may also have been fairly bitter because they might have been thrown out by family, friends, ignored by everybody who they used to interact with. And they might have been really bitter, but yet she found something. It says, I see Christ in that person. So we can do the same thing. So when we meet people, and the, the ones who are generally the most angry are the ones who are in the most need of God's mercy. You just think back along your own experience. When you meet that person that's just like, I said hi to them, and they bit my head off. And then if you actually persisted just a little bit, and this may, you may have done this at times, where you, you sit down and go, what, what's going on? We have this happen to us in youth group. Or even on the family retreats. We'll interact with somebody and the ones who are in the most pain are the ones, you know, it's like when you're putting a, something on a, a, a wound, you might have to put something that hurts and somebody might scream and push your hand away. That could be the same thing with someone who's encountering the gospel for the first time. So don't criticize, condemn, or complain. Give honest and sincere appreciation for the good you see in that person. Arouse in that other person an eager want for the good news of Christ. It sounds easy, but it's really hard. You actually have to have that attitude. And sometimes you have folks who have been very blessed, and they're not, they're not tempted to commit mortal sin. You might even forget what it was like and how easy it may have been for you at one time, or maybe you've never had that type of temptations. And you have to actually put yourself back in there and go, you know what? But for the grace of God, that could be me. And if someone was to say this to me, and I have a, I have a friend, a pretty good friend, who uh, was actually in that place where she became Catholic, but she identifies so closely with all the sinners. She says, oh, if I could do what I wanted, I would make breakfast tacos and take them down to the hookers and minister to them that way. Because if I went down there and started wagging a Bible, they wouldn't even listen to me. But if I go down there and meet them where they're at and just show them love, maybe then I can minister to them with that good news, just like someone did for me. She always tells me, she says, oh, if I would have gone in and saw that priest and that priest would have said, well, you're doing this wrong, this wrong, and this wrong, because I would have walked out. But instead he said, so happy you're here. Now, how can I help you? And she's Catholic now. And she's working to better herself all the time, but she absolutely identifies with sinners and how to reach them. And for many people, it's hard to identify with them because they seem so distant from you now. But we need to. Christ did all those things seeking to draw sinners closer to him. We hear the stories about the successes of Jesus, right? And a couple of failures, right? Can anybody give me one of the failures of Jesus' evangelization? 
Because people use that all the time. They say, well, he didn't eat with sinners. He ate with sinners who were repentant. Can you, can you think of the one? It's the only one I can think of. Okay, I think anything in the scripture? Judas? That's a, that's a very good one. He ministered to Judas over and over and over again. And the scriptures even tell us he was the, money, he was the one who held the money and a thief and a liar. And yet Jesus knew that. And he still tried to reach him. He was unsuccessful. Any others? In his hometown. In his hometown? Yeah. What did they want to do to him? Stone Throw him off the cliff. And the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Like, yeah. The righteous. Yeah. And I was thinking of the rich young man. Yeah. was the one I was thinking of. The guy said, oh, I've observed all the laws. And he says, ah, oh, but you're missing one thing. I go sell everything you off because I know the problem that you have, the thing that's keeping you from, from, from union with God. Go sell everything you have. And he walked away sad. So we do see, in fact, you guys have shown me a lot, right, of all those different stories where that wasn't successful. But yet, he reached a lot of people. You know, the, the, the woman caught in adultery, the woman at the well, and he preached them the good news, and they were open to it. He didn't come and say, are you perfect? Are you, are you seeking righteousness? Or He didn't ask them that. He entered into their lives and offered them mercy. We are the church. And when we are merciful, we become the beating heart of the gospel to those we meet. There's a quote attributed to St. Francis, but I hesitate to say St. Francis actually made any quotes that made it into, into, into words. Because he said, preach the gospel always, and when necessary, use words. And he um, said, you may be the only gospel that anyone ever reads or that that particular person ever reads. So try to be as effective of a gospel, of the good news, of the messenger of the good news as possible. So we can be the beating heart when we are merciful, the beating heart of the church of Christ. Our weakness, frailty, or misery do not cancel divine mercy. It is overcome by love. So in addition to kind of our our weakness, it is the weakness of those we may encounter. It doesn't matter how far someone has fallen. In fact, the one who is immersed in the biggest sins may be the one who is most open to receiving God's mercy. Um, you probably all heard the scripture um, that says, judge not lest ye be judged. When you hear that, you probably think about, you know, don't, don't judge that somebody is, is, uh, is committing a sin. Yeah, you hear that used quite a bit. Well, who are you to judge? Who are you to say that living together before marriage is a sin? Or, they tend to take it in that direction. What I say is look at it in a different way. Don't judge if someone is open to hearing the good news. It happens to us. I mean, we have a large family. We, we, uh, we were graced with the... Uh, um, I guess embracing the church's teaching on contraception. And so it would happen often to us that somebody would come up and say, don't you know what causes that? Hey, Alan, I can tell you a good vasectomy doctor. I mean, you know, all those things about, you know, making fun of us for having a lot of children. And yet there was always that temptation that when we would meet someone who didn't have a lot of children, for us to think, oh, well, they must be contracepting. And it's like, ah, no, no. And... And that wasn't always the case. They just weren't blessed with children. My grandmother, my mother, only able to have one child each. 
not through any fault of their own. We know many people that are infertile. But when you meet someone who may be prevented from having children, show compassion upon them. And if you feel called to share some good news with them, don't go, yeah, I know this couple, they're just really selfish. I know that they're, they're doing this. They might have even shared with you that they're living in sin or, or going against the teachings of the church. And so you might be hesitant to actually share that good news, to share God's mercy with them. But if you're feeling that call to do so, don't judge them that they won't be open to hearing it. They might not be open to hearing it from you at that time, but you may be part of God's plan for them to receive the full good news of his gospel. And so don't judge them. Extend to them God's mercy, because that's what it is. God loves us so much that he tells us Here's what will bring you happiness, or joy. Here's what will bring you joy. It may not always feel good, but it will absolutely bring you joy. So opportunities for conversion. Mercy is for all. It's freely given by God and his church. Now look at this next sentence here. Mercy received generates the act of conversion. So if you think about what brings about conversion in someone's heart, in their lives, do you think it's that somebody called them on what they were doing wrong? Maybe. What, what the Pope is, has really said pretty consistently is this. Mercy, gener mercy received generates that act of conversion. That when you encounter mercy itself, when you encounter Christ, that's actually what, that, that can affect a conversion of heart. It's almost like trusting God. <laughs> this doesn't necessarily make sense to us. Mercy given. And, and do you know what another, I mean, mercy, it's, it's very closely related to charity. A lot of people think mercy is just, oh, I'm not going to hit you that hard. I'm going to be merciful and, you know, whatever it is. I'm not going to inflict that much punishment on you. But really, it's love. It's looking at a person with love and showing mercy. I mean, we have many stories within scriptures. One that comes to mind is uh, the, uh, the steward who came and had a huge debt, and the master was going to throw him in jail, and he begged for mercy, and, and so he forgave the full debt. And the guy walks off and he meets somebody who owed him a much less sum. And he didn't extend mercy. And everybody reported the affair back to the master. And what did the master do then? He said, I extended this great mercy to you and you couldn't even show it to yours? Well, that's, that's us. We're that, we're that one who's been, been forgiven great mercy. We're given great mercy and forgiven a huge debt. And we're called to extend that same mercy. But in the bigger picture, we're called to extend God's mercy. To extend it to all of those that we meet. And this Amoris Laetzi, which is a lot of what, what this, that these catechesises are taken from, it caused a lot of controversy um, because of really this last, last bullet. The experience of forgiveness stimulates the human heart, right? Goes along with mercy received generates the act of conversion. The 
experience of forgiveness stimulates the human heart, helps it regenerate and become not a heart of stone, but a heart that is beating and alive again. And then this one is, is the line that uh, is out of Morris Laetzi 243. This is the one that, if you pay attention to any Catholic news sources, this, this, this made headlines even in the secular world. It is important that the divorced who have entered a new union should be made to feel part of the church. So in the area of family life, about the worst thing you can do to family life is go through a divorce. Right? You think about what family life is. Family, and we've talked about this a, a bit. Family life, just okay, first take the, the, the marital union. That is meant to uh, be a foretaste of heaven. Live, live correctly. You love each other. You think about the other person. You put them first. You love. You do all these things that are really mirroring the type of love that we will experience in heaven. It's not our final goal. Having a perfect marriage is not going to be our ultimate fulfillment. But when we get to heaven, we should experience something a million times greater than that. But it's a foretaste. It points towards heaven. And within the family, as it grows, it's still that foretaste of heaven, of how the family can be a union of persons, much like the Blessed Trinity. So one of the biggest affronts to family, to this sign that points us up to heaven, is divorce. And yet, it is important that the divorced who have entered a new union, and this is not just divorced mom or dad, this is divorced person who then entered a new union, probably not blessed by the church. Could be, but most people wouldn't know that. All they would know is one wife, one husband, now a second wife, second husband, stepchildren, all that stuff. And they see this and they go, that's not what God envisioned for marriage and family life. And that is true. However, in the vein of extending mercy, we are not to make them feel like they are excommunicated. Because the next part that I didn't include there said, because they are not. And that is the teaching of the church. They are not excommunicated. They are not separated from the uh, ecclesial community. And as I was thinking about this one, because it is something that, depending on which part of the political spectrum, you generally apply your political approaches to solving problems to the church. Well, God doesn't really fit into all that. <laughs> he has something outside of politics, and um, his ways are not our ways. And they may be hard for us to understand. But I looked at this and said, if they are not part of the church, what hope do they have for receiving God's mercy? Because if we can't, as a church, extend God's mercy to someone who has committed a sin, then what are we really here for? And the type of sin doesn't matter. There may be some really big sins. The person who killed someone, somebody might say, well, yeah, he killed somebody. We can forgive him for that if he's if he's repentant. But we gotta go to the prison <laughs> to actually encounter that person many times. So there are people who do prison ministry. How do we minister to those that are divorced and remarried? It's a sin. Fifty percent in the church or outside of the church, that's the statistics. It's pretty big. A lot of people aren't even getting married. You may have people at church who are just living together. Going back to the beginning of this, how do we engage them? If 
if we have no relationship with them, do we have an opportunity to share the gospel? Think back about your own experience, maybe not because of the homiletics, but when you're sitting in church, do you catch everything about every homily? No. no. Many times you're sitting there listening and you just zone out. Somebody asks you afterwards, what did, what did Father talk about? Uh, hmm, what were the readings about? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Because we're not taking notes. So is the priest, the deacon, are they the most effective at reaching somebody in the pew who is separated from God by some serious sin? Really, they're not. They could be lucky. I say, I'm in sales, right? I, I can go down the list and say, okay, if I send an email blast from MailChimp, I'm going to reach 0.0001% of that person to get them to do what I want them to do. If I send an individual email to them, they might open it, maybe 1% chance. I, I don't know what the statistics are. If I make a phone call to them, that's even higher. If I meet them in person, that's even better. If I play sports with them, if I have my kids in the same soccer team or baseball team, and I have a relationship with them outside of work, guess what? That is my best chance because I've gotten to know them at a personal level. The church is no different. In order to reach people who are in sin, we have to, as Pope Francis says, you have to smell like the sheep. He's talking to pastors. Smell like your sheep. We're all participating in the priestly call. Not in the ministerial priesthood, but we, at our baptism and our confirmation, we're consecrated priest, prophet, and king. We're meant to minister in some way. Jesus didn't say just to his apostles, now go out and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He was saying it to the church. Go out and preach the good news to the ends of the earth. We do not have enough priests to do that. We do not have enough deacons to do that. We don't have enough religious to do that. We're called to do it too. And it can be hard. Many times the people we have the most trouble reaching are the ones who are, have, are committing the same sins we used to struggle with and maybe still struggle with. And we find it really hard to extend mercy to them because we haven't extended mercy to ourselves. We haven't forgiven ourselves, even though God may have. Marriage preparation and enrichment, it is a vital part of our church. It's an essential part. If we don't prepare people for marriage, where are they going to learn what it looks like to be married? Where did you guys learn how, what it looked like to be married? From my parents. That's how awesome. I from my parents. Yeah. 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 And that's great. And we had marriage prep, too. And you did marriage prep yeah, also? Yeah, we did marriage With Deacon Bob and Dana. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. You must have paid extra for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have met so many families, so many couples, that did not have that. They did not have a family that they grew up in where they actually learned what marriage should look like. Many times, especially today, um, the church community is where people will encounter the good news of God's plan for marriage and family life. And once you've received that news, even if you don't live it out perfectly, you should still share. Problems will arise in every marriage and every family. 
my wife made me put that in because I just had the second part. <laughs> the pastoral care of engaged and married couples should be centered on the marriage bond, assisting couples to deepen their love and overcome problems and difficulties. But every couple and every family will have problems. They may be very substantial. Guaranteed, you're sitting next to people at church that are having substantial problems. And they do a very good job of hiding it because nobody really wants to talk about that. No, I, I don't think it's that nobody wants to talk about it. It's just you don't have the opportunity to talk about it. You, just... you may not have the relationship yet. Because I'm not just going to go talk to anybody. That's why you can't just say, hey, I know I have a problem. <laughs> Sometimes they'll go up to the priest or the deacons. Yeah, and they may do that. <laughs> it takes a small community. It takes a small community. Absolutely. Because that's really what it is. We are called to be a community. This is called the St. Maximian Colbe Catholic Community. Yeah, but it's too big to be a community. Well, but, but like the desire is there. Yeah. A lot of people call it a Catholic church. I think church and community actually mean the same thing. But as, as language changes, sometimes you have to actually change your language to communicate that, right? To show what it is. Nobody really knows that mass means to be sent. So I've seen that, you know. Mass it means to go out, right? Because people don't, don't know that anymore. And one way we can do that is by having experienced couples play a role within um, educating younger couples about what it means to be married through their experiences and, uh, and through their knowledge of what it is to be married. Because experience is important. Uh, when we were married for a few years, we didn't know, we were not prepared for the things that would have happened to us after being married 20, 25 years. And so being able to share that wisdom is something that an experienced couple can provide to younger couples. The Engaged Sponsor Couple Program is one that we did. That was very useful for us. Um, it's useful for the people that we've taken through that same program. So marriage preparation and enrichment does have a place within the parish. And if we don't preach the good news to those people who are coming from all kinds of places, most people that are coming to get married these days are living together. Or they're having sex, or both. both yeah. um, and yet, we're called to educate them and draw them closer to Christ and His good news. So this great dream is for everyone. Marriage and family life is not the great dream. Does everybody know that? It's not the great dream. It's not our fulfillment. Marriage and family life may be beautiful at times. But it will never take the place of the great dream, which is heaven. Because marriage and family life does show us the path to heaven. And this is a key. We must stop demanding that our interpersonal relationships be perfect. Just let that sink in. <laughs> we must stop expecting perfection. From those we have relationships with. Oh, with, with each other. Okay. Yeah. I can't expect that my marriage relationship is going to be perfect because we're both imperfect people. And to expect that, as we've talked about in past sessions, will just quickly kill a marriage. It'll kill a family. When you expect your children, even you know, a, a five-year-old, to be able to perform like a fifteen-year-old. Not physically necessarily, but making those decisions, right? Or things that I fail at and expecting my kids. <laughs> like say, 
clean up your room. And I go to my office and go, <laughs> yeah, I'm not giving you a good example. I can't even keep my own office clean. Yet, I expect that of my children. So that's lucky for me, right? If I did have a perfect office and everything was in its place, I could really be mean to my kids and expect them to be perfect. But we're not supposed to. We have to remember that perfection within those interpersonal relationships will only be achieved in heaven. Now, indissolubility, meaning marriage, the permanence of marriage, this is not something, everything that I've said about being welcoming to um, people who are, are uh, divorced and remarried does not diminish God's law about having a, uh, a marriage be for life. Right? That what God has joined, that no man put asunder. It does not diminish that at all. But it is a reality in our, our time. So indissolubility communicates to everyone the indissolubility of marriage. The eternal faithful love of God and Jesus Christ. It is a gift to the spouses and to the community. If you guys ever have those times where you, uh, you celebrate anniversaries at, at Mass, All right, we have people stand up, oh, it's their 20th anniversary, come on up. You've never seen those? Okay. She, she was paying attention at that Mass. She was at that Mass. <laughs> we, we've seen it Not a, a few times. Those are actually important things. I know that when, um, whenever someone has pointed out that they're having an anniversary, you know, within social media, nowadays people post those, I always put that I love them. It doesn't matter who it is, what I know about them. If they say, we have celebrated 10 years of marriage, I go, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that witness. 20 years, wow, that's even better. We had a 70-year anniversary that happened to one of Danae's extended family members. And everybody's like, oh, that's beautiful. That's what we have to strive for. And these are people who are divorced and remarried in their family. They still see that beauty in that. And we can only hope that they're inspired by it. Because, I mean, we usually don't want to do the hard work, but we like somebody else to do the hard work. <laughs> it could be. It could be. But, you know, it's like if you're surrounded by... A lot of people who are living um, the beauty of God's plan for marriage, you know, by, by couples that are 20, 25, 30, 40, 50, 60 years of marriage, if you're surrounded by a community that has that, it's contagious. You're like, man, if they can do it, we can do it, especially if you've gotten to know that couple. Because I'm sure if we ask the 70-year-old or the 70-year anniversary people, has it always been easy? They go, okay. No, not at all. But we were committed. That is really God's plan. You look at the cross, and I ask, is that, does that look easy? No. No. <laughs> no. But yet, that's the path we're supposed to walk. And when we have witnesses, this cloud of witnesses, just like we talked about early on about the, the saints how we celebrate those saints that each day we can usually find something to celebrate. Even if it's not a U.S. saint, there'll be saints in different countries. We have a book, 365 Days of Saints. Well, there's thousands of saints. You can always read about those who have gone before us to draw strength. In the area of family life and marriage, we have examples within our community of people who have weathered that storm, who are a beacon of light that are very effectively pointing the way towards our ultimate fulfillment, which is heaven. 
So it says we, that this is a gift for the spouses and the community, and especially those experiencing crisis in their marriage. I know uh, I, I equate it, or I think about it in the same fashion as like someone who's uh, lost a child or is infertile, and then someone gets pregnant, and sometimes you have a hesitancy to go, hey, we're having a baby. So you know that they don't. But actually, probably on the contrary, it might sting a little bit to them. They're going to look at that and go, man, I'm so happy that you have a successful marriage, that you have persevered, even though, in my case, my spouse abandoned me. And we know people like that. It is a sign. It is a beautiful sign of what is to come. So God's mercy is for everyone. God's great dream is that is not that we have a perfect marriage or a perfect family. It is that we follow his call to perfection and we strive to achieve it here on earth and we strive to be a witness to other people and that we gain a foretaste of what that love is going to be when we get to heaven. And we're called to share that with all those that we Thank you for listening. For more information on Your Holy Family Ministries, please visit yourholyfamily.org.